and here we're going to move into some, you know, mystery religion people, you know, and so we start with Robert Flood, who was a Rosicrucian adept. He's our next master. He said, particulars are frequently fallible, but universals never. Occult philosophy lays bare nature in her complete nakedness and alone contemplates the wisdom of universals by the eyes of intelligence. And the next one is Brother Christian Rosenkreutz, Rosicrucian philosopher. He's kind of like the father of them all. Christian Rosenkreutz. It's described that his body is discovered by a brother of the order was in a perfect state of preservation 120 years after his death, which occurred in absolute secrecy as Rosenkreutz had predicted, apparently. In a heptagonal chamber erected by himself as a storehouse of knowledge, it's described that on the sarcophagus in the center of the crypt of Christian Rosenkreutz were written, among other inscriptions, the words, Jesus mihi omnia, ne quoquium vacuum libertas evangeliae dei intacta gloria legis jugum, which means Jesus is everything to me, by no means empty, the freedom of the gospel, the untouched glory of God, the yoke of the law. And we move on to Francis Bacon. And one of his famous quotes was that some books are to be tasted, others to be swallowed, and some few to be chewed and digested. <laughs> he also said, reading maketh a full man, conference a ready man and writing an exact man. Mm. And our next master is Jacob Bohm, one of my faves. He utilized a lot of his writings in The Christ of the Redemption. One of the things that he said is, it is not to be thought that the life of darkness is sunk in misery and lost as if in sorrowing. There is no sorrowing. For sorrow is a thing that is swallowed up in death, and death and dying are the very life of the darkness. A shepherd in whom the Spirit of God works is more highly esteemed before God than the wisest and most potent in self-wit without the divine dominion. And here is something again, I mean, bringing us all the way back to the beginning where we started with Babaji. Love is higher than the highest. Love is greater than the greatest. 
Yea, it is in a certain sense greater than God, while yet in the highest sense of all, God is love and love is God. Love being the highest principle is the virtue of all virtues from whence they flow forth. So you see how many mystics try so hard to explain what love is as field and vibration. And there's no way to really completely do that, but we do it the best we can. And the next, you know, masters in at the feet of the masters are the three grand masters of the Freemasonry Lodge in Jerusalem. And um, a quote from one of the masters of, of the Freemasonry order was George Washington. And he said, being persuaded that a just application of the principles on which the Masonic fraternity is founded must be promotive of private virtue and public prosperity. I shall always be happy to advance the interests of the society and to be considered by them as a deserving brother. And one of the uh, Freemasonic um, slogans is, well done is better than well said. <laughs> That's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> and Pythagoras, one of the great mystery uh, masters, says, as soon as laws are necessary for men, they are no longer fit for freedom. And of course, silence is better than unmeaning words. And, you know, Pythagoras being one of the great spiritual philosoph philosophical masters who also brought mathematics and geometry into all of those paths, brilliant master. Mm -hmm. Louis Claude de Saint Martin said, for our personal advancement in virtue and truth, one quality is sufficient, namely love. To advance humanity, there must be two, love and intelligence. To accomplish the great work, there must be three, love, intelligence, and activity. And yet love is ever the root and the source. And Louis Claude de Saint Martin was this great uh, mystic philosopher, mystery religion adept of his time kind of like a saint in the mystery religion path. And our next one, Manly P. Hall, the great writer of, yeah, it's the secret teaching. I have one right here. Whoop, hold on, gonna grab it here. The secret teachings of all ages there. Okay, secret teachings of all ages. That's a seminal work every, Everybody who studies religion uh, wants a copy of that one for sure. Um, 
He said, when the human race learns to read the knowledge of symbolism, a great veil will fall from the eyes of men. They shall then know truth, and more than that, they shall realize that from the beginning, truth has been in the world unrecognized, save by a small but gradually increasing number appointed by the lords of the dawn as ministers to the needs of human creatures struggling to regain their consciousness of divinity. That's from Melchizedek and the Mystery of Fire. He wrote a lot of books. That's his mm -hmm. seminal work, but he wrote a ton of books. Very yeah, prolific yeah. writer. Um, yeah, the Philosophical Research Center is just a couple miles away from here. Oh, is it? Oh, how cool is that? He founded that. And um, so that was his uh, creation as well. And he says, the esoteric system is all based upon the ultimate motive. Ultimate motive is the service of truth itself, a complete dedication to the service of the realities of existence. And so the next mystery master is Count St. Germain, mm. the legendary. <laughs> immortal. And immortal. He says, attention is the key. Attention is the key for where man's attention goes, there goes his energy. And he himself can only follow. Anxiety must go. It must be replaced by faith and solemn confidence in the outworking of the divine plan. It's interesting that he said that about attention. I didn't know well, that, he said that or that anybody said that, but I always wondered about that. Because if you can get someone's attention and you can only keep your attention on one thing like fully at a time, but if you can just like get someone's attention, and yep. I remember like when cell phones first came out and I remember I was teaching, I was doing a, going to do a private yoga session with somebody and uh, so cell phones just come out and I was like driving down the street and I looked and there's a guy like mowing his lawn. He was like, mm. <laughs> and then somebody was walking out on the other side of the street, taking the garbage out and looking at mm, his attention, like in the phone, you know, mm. same with like when televisions came out and. It's just ways that have really taken our attention to like something that well uh, exactly with what he's what he's pointing out is is such a, a a basic eternal concept that we all have to understand if we're pursuing the spiritual path which is where your attention lies is where your energy goes so pay close attention to what is your primary focus where is your what you know what is 95 percent of your uh, output going towards um, I mentioned you know, this too, like when we did uh, the grand phase, no, the um, stairway from earth to heaven mm -hmm. for the consciousness of, of uh, human evolution. Yep. The, the conference for consciousness and human evolution was <laughs> that <clears throat> I just kind of have a mantra going quite a bit, you know, in yoga, um, you know, because as I said, as has been said, is we can only focus on one thing at a time. And so if we can have a mantra, you know, which is mantra, it's a projection of the mind, because tra is projection, man is mind. And 
if you can so when i'm using that that sound like i just do uh, i say god all the time so i'm just like god 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 so i'm trying to go back to that all the time but then i have to make get that alive for me so it can't just be like i'm saying a word like i'm just saying god but i'm like i'm hoping that i can just stay connected that i can or be connected or become connected or uh be in the presence of or just you know not do things that are not about god you know so that's something that i kind of use to like try to bring me back to center as mm -hmm. much as i can um not that it works all the time but it it definitely helps me well ironically and what you're talking about is is that a devotion to the holy name you know it's kriya yoga it's christianity it's <clears throat> the path of amida buddha it's um it's the divine name um but you know it's also even you know you can bring yourself back to you know alm you know the divine vibration as well you know so people can use different things that work for them mm -hmm. and so the next person is series the patron of the mysteries um Um, Ceres is, uh, uh, you know, a uh, mythological uh, master. And what I found about Ceres was this, where the satyrs are chattering, nymphs with their flattering, glimpse of the forest, enhance all the beauty of marrow and cucumber narrow, and Ceres will join in the dance. He's the patron of the mysteries. And then Odin of Scandinavia is next. Odin, king of Asgard, protector of the nine realms. And here's just a little anecdotal tale from the Northern myths. Uh, this one's from Padriac Column, the children of Odin from the mythologies of uh, Scandinavia and Norway. Thor looked out on the two great rolling rivers of cloud. It was a bad way for one to go, cold and suffocating, yet if he went that way he could keep on his shoulder the hammer which he would not leave in another's charge. He stepped out into the cloud river that flowed by the rainbow bridge and with his hammer upon his shoulder he went struggling on to the other river. Odin, Tyr, Baldur were beside Ursa's well when Thor came struggling out of the Cloud River, wet and choking, but with his hammer still upon his shoulder. There stood Tyr, upright and handsome, leaning on his sword that was inscribed all over with magic runes. There stood Baldur, smiling with his heart bent as he listened to the murmur of the two fair swans. And there stood Odin, all father, clad in his blue cloak fringed with golden stars without the eagle helmet upon his head and with no spear in his hands majestic description of odin from the myths
And the next one is the Queen of Avalon. Very difficult to find. Uh, and this is an interesting character because this is the Queen of Avalon who, uh, you know, had a dual personality. Morgan Le Fay at, at a particular period in, in her life. So one point light, another point dark. So as a Druidic practitioner, Morgan Le Fay, your music hurts the way sunshine hurts when you've existed for a long time in darkness. <laughs> you know, not dissimilar to the stories of who was the great, great wise one who then fell from, you know, fell from grace. So that's what we have here with the Queen of Avalon, Morgan Le Fay. I think somebody once said that quote to me when I was uh, trying to learn how to play the guitar. Oh, <laughs> really? Mm. <laughs> 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 and there is a quote in La Morte de Arthur, which is one of the more uh, traditional ancient texts on the Arthurian legend. And this is a Morgan Le Fay quote, Queen Morgan loves Sir Lancelot best and ever she desired him and he would never love her nor do nothing at her request. And therefore she held many nights together for to have taken him by strength. And because she deemed that Sir Lancelot loved Queen Guinevere Paramore and she him again, therefore Queen Morgan Le Fay ordained that shield to put Sir Lancelot to rebuke to that intent that King Arthur might understand the love between them. And so that, of course, was the downfall from uh, the Queen of Avalon and how she fell into the dark magic. And the next master is Dectiri, a Druidic Celtic woman. She actually returned from the from the mystical spheres with a child of the heavenly realms. She disappeared for three years into the clouds and returned three years later, bearing the child Cuchulain. And Cuchulain became a big character in the mythological histories and was a great master in, um, in the Celtic mythology. Mm. And this is uh, one of the few that I was able to find uh, that's actually a, sort of a quote from Cuchulain. When Pierce summoned Cuchulain to his side, what stalked through, what intellect, what calculation, number, measurement replied? We Irish born into that ancient sect but thrown upon this filthy modern tide and by its formless spawning fury wrecked, climb to our proper dark that we may trace the lineaments of a plummet measured base. And then moving to, of course, the legendary Merlin, the Druidic practitioner in the court of King Arthur. Um, who also, you know, legends 
tell us that both that we don't know, you know, was he serving the light? Was he serving the dark? It sounds like he did a little bit of both at different times in his life. But here right. we have like a everyone, quote. right? A little bit. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. A little bit like Milarepa as well, you know, the great yeah. Tibet yogi as well. And so then Merlin said, quote, you must now go on in the service of God who restored you as you now see yourself. You who for so many years lived in the desert like a wild beast going about without a sense of shame. Now that you have recovered your reason, do not shun the bushes or the green glades which you inhabited while you were mad. But stay with me that you may strive to make up in service to God for the days that the force of madness took from you. From now on, all things shall be in common between you and me in this service, so long as either lives. And that's a very common statement and sentiment of the masters. Milarepa was another one had a similar sentiment where they seek to uh, do as much time in good as they spent in evil proper. And that was from the Vita Merlini, the Latin text by Geoffrey of Monmouth, the Bishop of St. Aphif, which was uh, from 1100. So pretty cool ancient text. So here we are. We are hitting Zarathustra. What? And Zoroastrianism. No way. So, you know, Zarathustra, the first monotheistic, um, you know, great world religion, which was Zoroastrianism mm -hmm. before um, Christianity, Judaism, Islam. Before Aminotep? Before? It was after Amenhotep, but Amenhotep only, uh, you know, his reign was short. And so he had had people uh, follow a monotheistic tradition for a very short period of time. But Zarathustra was actually a prophet and he founded, um, you know, Zoroastrianism which, Zoroastrianism, which was a religion which held true the scriptures of which are, you know, include the Zendavesta, the Pavlavi texts, and others, um, which, you know, ironically, Zarathustra was the master who really defined the worlds of good and evil, um, the battles between good and evil uh, in, in the worlds of light and darkness in the spiritual realms. Mm -hmm. um, before yeah. almost anyone else did. Yeah, so. So it's just kind of like. Cool it's guy. Your, yeah, it's like the work that you're involved with with spiritual warfare and such. It, he talks about the Asha. Yes. Right? And he talks uh -huh. about, is it the drudge, which is the other part? The drudge, the darkness, the evil. I'm not sure what? I recall that term being used, but you might from yeah. something I drudge. may not have seen. But yeah, just that's what you know reminded me of was like you kind of like the work that you're you've been involved with as a mystic and such and and kind of where we're at on this planet right now. Yeah. And maybe it's always, especially yeah. you know in the Kali Yuga, where it's a little darker in times. Is it's totally you know 
it's a fight between a combat between evil and light well it does seem like that's always you know to some extent you know when you really look at historically there there is always some of this kind of stuff going on and that is kind of the nature of mortal realms and and so that kind of gives us some context to kind of throw it in you know and there's not a lot, a lot of zoroastrians on the planet no not that many that i could find there's there's some um in India and yeah. Iran, but I think it's like 200,000. Something really small like that. Okay. I was just looking into it a little bit. I'm surprised the number is so much smaller than even Sikhs, but it makes Sikhs sense. Are, you know, Sikhs are quite a bit, actually, as we mentioned. Yeah, but you know, it's interesting because Sikhism was a conjugation between Islam and Hinduism. And so it's kind of a mixture of two religions. And so it's interesting that it took such a big hold, whereas, you know, uh, Zoroastrianism was a religion in and of itself, and, you know, that was founded in and of itself. You know, so some of the things he said, turn yourself not away from three best things, good thought, good word, and good deed. By my love and my hope, I beseech you, do not forsake the hero in your soul. Beautiful. <laughs> in the Avesta, Zarathustra said, each of the two spirits created in turn, the one created life and the other created absence of life. And this determined how the last shall be, the worst life for the wicked, the best mental state for the holy. Isn't it interesting how you see this similarity that runs all across the board, you know, with all the masters, all the religions, all across the board. And here's something from the Avesta. The man of Armayati is bounteous and with understanding in his words and actions. May Ahura give him that righteousness which is blessed, together with the religion and that sovereign power which is established through the good mind. I would pray for this same blessing from his grace. And then we have... Uh, you know, some quotes from a famous book by Nietzsche. So these are not actual Zarathustra quotes, but these are from Thus Spoke Zarathustra. And these are Zarathustra speaking in Nietzsche's rendition. The higher we soar, the smaller we appear to those who cannot fly. You must be ready to burn yourself in your own flame. That's purification. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they had fire temples. They did. Not many of them, but because they like to just kind of worship outside. Yep. 
um, there was a miraculous birth involved with Zarathustra. It was said that Zarathustra's birth was foretold from the beginning of time. And the moment he was born, he burst out laughing and the whole universe rejoiced with him. And after his birth, evil demons tried to destroy him. But with Ahura Mazda's protection, he survived all attempts on his life. And so Ahura Mazda is Zarathustra's name for God. Just as, you know, Islams have Allah, Christians have God, and, you know, uh, Jew Jews and Christians have El Shaddai, Yahweh, Jehovah, you know, all these different names for God. Ahura Mazda was uh, the name that Zarathustra had for God. And then you'll see there in, in, in at the feet of the masters, there are these old cards that depict some of the images from Zarathustra's life, the miracle of the bridge of ice, the, the bringing back of the light and the law, um, the, 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 the picture of him as teacher and reformer, his death at the fire temple, uh, a yearly celebration that they do at the fire temple and some ancient drawings of Zarathustra. It's very hard to get a lot of good detailed information about these historical events online, which is kind of sad. And I even looked through all my ancient books and my ancient texts here, trying to find more information on these events. But at least we have knowledge that these events occurred. <laughs> we just don't have a lot more knowledge than that. And so now we're kind of moving into Buddhism and we're going to talk about the Buddha. And of course, you know, the Buddha Who? has lots of, lots Who? of things I like. Buddha? <laughs> yeah, I'm a, a big fan. Who yeah. once did live in recklessness and then is reckless nevermore, shall light the world like the full moon when clouds unmask it who checks with wholesome deeds, the evil deeds already done, shall light the world like the full moon when clouds unmask it. And then from the Udana, trivial thoughts, insignificant thoughts, when followed, they distract the mind. Not understanding those thoughts, the roaming mind runs back and forth. But by understanding those thoughts, one ardent and mindful restrains the mind. An awakened one has to overcome them completely so they do not arise to distract the mind. Three things cannot be long hidden, the sun, the moon, and the truth. <laughs> You know, a lot of people think of Buddhism when they hear about Buddhism as a religion, but it's really more of a philosophy. To me, it's just, it's very heart oriented. You know, we're going to talk about, as, <clears throat> as I pronounce it, Avalokitesvara, but where there's just this love for humanity, there's this outpouring. Can you hear my phone? Oh, is that your phone? 
Isn't that cool? Did you think it was magic? Uh-huh. Who it I is? Did. You did. <laughs> but I um <clears throat> I don't have with me. See, I, I totally turned the sound off of my phone and then but I uh I met this uh, Himalayan Sherpa. And um so I don't know, one way or another I ended up with uh some amazingly uh, energetic things that were filled with love and compassion and like this one I'm going to show you right now. Okay. This is my monk. This is my prayer beads. Now they just didn't want to come off it, so it's just kind of hanging out on it. That's but cool. This, this um, this is made out of bone, actually. Oh, that's but, cool. Uh, this uh, I'm gonna take this off for a second. Huh? It's strange for me with glasses on because I never wear glasses except for when I'm on with you and I have to read stuff. <laughs> but, um, so uh, this was uh, the, uh, Durga. He was the the Himalayan Sherpa, and so he knew everybody in the Mustang region, like all the ashrams and stuff. And so there was uh, so a teacher of monks. What do you call it again? Lama. Mm, yeah, Lama. Yogi. He was uh, Swami. I think of it right now. My mind's not like a hundred percent right now, but uh, it's only like twenty percent. Uh, I understand. I relate to that problem. Yes. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I ended up uh, this one. I would put on people because you know when they do their prayers. Om Mani Padme Hum. Om Mani Padme You count it. There's 108, and then you do the cycles, and then you have the prayer wheel. And I, this is a couple. This is hundreds of years old, but I also have his. Uh, prayer wheel as well and so you know in there of course is like written thousands of times oh money put me home and you know so it's just <laughs> had all that love <coughs> to all of humanity all of the souls wherever they are and uh and then also i ended up with uh, his gong as well that is uh is a, a valakitasvara um gong and so it's like, it's a special one that it's like 500 years old, but it's made of like gold and silver. And I guess they do like 500,000 prayers over it. You know, it's in my closet. <laughs> it sounds kind of crazy, but um, don't worry. It's like, it's vibrating energy everywhere. But so Buddhism for me, um, it's only in my closet because we have a very small apartment, but uh it's not going to be there very long but so buddhism to me just being around these sacred objects because i have uh some really great wonderful tonkas uh the first one i ever got was a valakitasvara one it's not here but uh it was made with um reverence by a monk over three months and just taking like flowers and making the the paint and such out of the flower and just everything is just organic but the stories that they tell in buddhism the symbolism it's just being devoted to the highest greatest 
possible good of people and then and fighting and combating evil and yeah so, so buddhism to me man I, just, I think it's just awesome philosophy well and here's mine mine is not in as good condition but it's really old it's mm. i was told it was a couple hundred years old you can see here let's see that's avalokiteshvara there oh nice and this was a couple hundred years old it belonged to a monk one of the uh, foundation members sent this to me a few years ago maybe five ten years ago oh, now nice. and this was a prayer um thing from the buddhist monks in tibet <clears throat> this was tibet nice so i'm very honored that i have it and I keep it on my buddha over there <laughs> yeah that's great yeah so yeah so i just thought we were talking about buddhism so i guess we had to pull out our little prayer beads we had to pull out our little goodies mm -hmm. well and you know speaking of the amani pemi hung uh, just to explain it, it's an ancient Buddhist mantra. Um, the chant means praise to the jewel in the lotus. Um, uh, ironically, it is attributed to Avalokiteshvara, who is our next master. And she would say, form is emptiness and emptiness is form. Um, And you know, there were a lot of texts attributed to Avalokiteshvara about the Buddha. Um, and so I have Kwan, some. Would Kuan Yin be the same as Avalokiteshvara? Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah the, they're right the same. Yeah. Right, okay. And so, like, one of the things that she had written. Um, that was attributed to the Buddha was therefore you should know that you state the impossible when you say that the mind which knows understands and is aware is concealed in the organ of vision in the way that the eyes are covered by crystals And then the next master is one of the one of my favorite monks, Buddhist monks, Earth Store Bodhisattva, um, who was this really cool Buddhist monk in the Middle Ages who had the unique calling of going into the hell realms to deliver souls. He's got uh, the Sutra of the Past Vows of Earth Store Bodhisattva details his journeys doing this and since I myself have been called in that way and have read a lot of texts by others who have been called in that way, I've always found Earth Store Bodhisattva very fascinating. And so here is uh, some of the things that he's been attributed as saying. The advisor says to him, if you see those whom you know personally, as well as other travelers, be they men or women, Tell them that there are many poisons and evils on that path, which can cause them to lose their very nature in life. Do not let them seek their own deaths. 
Why the name Earth Store? Earth nurtures the growth of all things and store refers to treasure troves. All the treasure troves are in the ground. Store can also mean to keep hidden, to keep from view. All the treasure troves are hidden from view underground. Like the great earth, this bodhisattva is able to make the myriad things grow. Like the great earth, he has endless, boundless treasure troves in the ground for people to uncover. Those who believe in this bodhisattva are entitled to the treasures within. What were the vows that Ursta Bodhisattva made? He vowed, until the hells are empty, I vow to forego Buddhahood. When beings are saved, will I then certify to Bodhi? Yet empty, he will hold off on becoming a Buddha. Only when the hells are completely empty, will he become a Buddha. How great is that vow power. That's great. And here is just one, one little um, portion of his text, giving a little bit of a description of some of the things he had seen in the hells. There is a hell in which the offender is followed everywhere by fire. There is a hell in which there is cold and ice. There is a hell in which there is limitless dung and urine. There is a hell in which there are flying maces. There is a hell in which there are many fiery spears. There is a hell in which one is constantly beaten on the chest and back. There is a hell in which one's hands and feet are burned. There is a hell in which the offender is wrapped and bound by iron serpents. Humane one, such are the retributions. In each hell, there are a hundred thousand kinds of utensils of karma, and any single hell would have hundreds of thousands of kinds of acute sufferings. And this is just another, it says, east of that is yet another sea where the sufferings are doubled still again, what the combined evil causes of the three karmic vehicles evoke is called the sea of karma. This is that place. Urstor Bodhisattva is fascinating. Anyone interested in that sort of thing should consider reading the, 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 the let me make sure I get the title right here. Sutra of the Past Vows of Urstor Bodhisattva. And then we're moving on to Vimala Kirti, another great master in the Buddhist tradition, who said, Then the Crown Prince Manjushri said to the Lakavi Vimala Kirti, Noble Sir, how does the Bodhisattva follow the way to attain to the qualities of the Buddha? Vimala Kirti replied, Manjusri, when the Bodhisattva follows the wrong way, he follows the way to attain to the qualities of the Buddha. Manjusri, noble sir, one who stays in the fixed determination of the vision of the uncreated is not capable of conceiving the spirit of unexcelled perfect enlightenment. 
However, one who lives among created things in the minds of passions is indeed capable of conceiving the spirit of unexcelled perfect enlightenment. For example, noble sir, without going out into the great ocean, it is impossible to find precious priceless pearls. Likewise, without going into the ocean of passions, it is impossible to obtain the mind of omniscience. 